Good morning. My name is Doug Swinburne, and we will be following Jesus together in the coming months. I am the interim pastor here at Cedars, and haven't we been going through a lot of transition lately? Not just here at the church, but any place touched by COVID, at work, at school, social gatherings. There is so much transition going on. But as interim pastor, there are some priorities that can still be followed through on, and uh, one of those is that I promise to care, and that we will seek God's best together, no matter what it takes. Now, I will not become your next lead pastor, but until you choose well, Donna and I will love God and will love people because this is a heart commitment. And we're actually very thankful to be a part of the Cedars family for this season. This week is a big week. This is our first Sunday since March to combine a virtual church and a live outdoor church. First Sunday. And as we begin this phase of recovery, there are two postures that I want to affirm. And those two postures are COVID careful and COVID casual. So if you are choosing to connect virtually or to drive in on Sunday morning and stay in your car the whole time, that fits under the category of COVID careful. And that is a good choice. And we affirm and honor and bless that choice. We commend you for being COVID careful. Be blessed as you remain COVID careful. And some of you will choose COVID casual And we affirm your choice as well. You will come to the outdoor service on Sunday and you'll come with your masks and you'll bring your chairs and we'll set up an appropriate social distance spacing. And we can do this because this is currently allowed in our county. But we follow the county guidelines not just to guard ourselves, but also as a way to love our neighbors. We cannot become a source of some spikes of infection that would harm our neighbors. We affirm and bless these COVID-careful and COVID-casual choices as ways to love our neighbors. Now, this morning, we're looking at conversations on the value of a person. We have a story that is found in John chapter 9. And it is a story of Jesus healing a man that was born blind. It is a story of healing. Healing is part of the story. And now before we go through this story any further, I would like to pray and then dive into God's Word. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge you 
as the one we can trust. We worship you as the one who never fails. We are humbled not only by your power, but by your love. And the way one never gets in the way of the other. Thank you for being not only the creator, but the one who has taken today and made it a good day. In Jesus' name, amen. So healing is a part of this story. And in this story, healing kind of has layers, many layers. A man who is born blind is given his sight miraculously by Jesus. This man had never seen anything. And when Jesus gave him the gift of sight, the miracle was not just some sort of a simple fix. What was the condition of his corneas? What was going on with his retina? Did an optic nerve even exist? And then we're also dealing with a miracle of the brain because his brain had never received signals of vision to learn how to assemble those visions into something that made sense. And then in a moment, everything worked. All of these layers of miracle. So I'm going to start reading in John chapter 9, looking at the first 12 verses. This is about Jesus when it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva. And he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. 
They asked him that and he said, I don't know. This story has four scenes. And those 12 verses that I just read are scene one and scene two. And in the first scene, Jesus saw this man. He saw this man who's always been blind. And then he healed the man. That's in scene one. In the second scene, local people were not able to wrap their minds around the miracle that they couldn't explain. So they're asking him questions and they're trying to figure things out and they're making ideas. They're saying them out loud, not really knowing what they're saying. That's the second scene. And then in the third scene, these same people that have always known him take him to the Pharisees and get the Pharisees involved and watch as they take something that was beautiful and make it feel ugly. And then in the fourth scene, Jesus comes back with another way to love and encourage the man that he had healed. This is a story about healing. It's a story about Jesus and what he can do. But it is also the story of human value. A story of human value. Value that is defined by Jesus. Here's a question for us. Who matters to Jesus? And how is a person's value defined? This story began with Jesus and his disciples walking along. And Jesus saw this man. Now, my understanding of this is he didn't just say, oh, there's somebody over there. He didn't just see a label of there's a blind man or a label, oh, he's always been blind. Jesus didn't heal his blindness to make him more valuable. Jesus saw this one that he had created, saw the value in him before any healing took place. In fact, this is one of my phrases that I just love to bring up over and over again. That when Jesus saw this man, he saw him and look over there. That man is one of my favorites. Because he was one of his favorites and so are you. There is nothing that you or I can do to make Jesus love us more. There's nothing that we can do that will make us more valuable. And sometimes you and I struggle to see people the way that Jesus sees them. And how much would change if every time we see someone that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, if we would remember that's one of Jesus' favorites. 
I have a book with me, and I brought it because it has one of my favorite titles. It's called The Pharisee's Guide to Total Holiness. This title is somewhat sarcastic, but it's actually quite a challenging book. It challenges us to look at ourselves. We also look at the Pharisees, but then we ask ourselves, do we value the wrong things? Or do we embrace good things in a way that excuses us from seeing people the way Jesus sees them? I believe that there is a reason why so many Americans view the church as judgmental and self-righteous. And I think one of those reasons is because there can be a little bit of the Pharisee in us. We're part of a tribe of believers called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And on Friday this week, the vice president of the alliance, his name is Terry Smith, sent out this devotional thought. I'll just read it. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. And by the way, that was a Bible verse, Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. As God's people, we are to use our voices on behalf of those who have no voice. This would include the unborn who cannot speak up and defend their own lives. It includes the immigrant who may not speak our language and perhaps wouldn't be listened to if they could. It includes the non-Anglo brother or sister who has less access to the justice system than I do and may well be looked at through eyes of prejudice even though justice is supposed to be blind. It could include the one who has been abused, the victim of misused power, and the list could go on. Our tendency is to be self-focused, to fight for the things that give us personal advantage. These verses call us to be other-focused, to fight for the things that help to eliminate the disadvantage of another. In doing so, we may draw to ourselves disadvantage through the opposition of those who do not support our views. However, in speaking up for the voiceless and disadvantage, We honor the one who created them and have his full support and pleasure. Too many people feel invisible. In this story, there's a man who couldn't see. But it's very easy to read this story and get the sense that he also probably felt sort of invisible invisible. And when he would beg for money, it would be the only time he could draw people's attention to him. And that became how he was known. Now, I had planned to read some verses, and 
I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and here's what I'm going to do. I want to walk through this story, and I'm going to angle left when I'm telling the part of the story that affirms people, that affirms a person, that affirms their value. And I'm going to angle this way in those parts of the story where someone is trying to steal that value or to undercut the value that God intends. So that's what we're going to do here for a minute. So if you were to read this story, here's kind of the way it goes. Adding value. In the very beginning, Jesus looks at this man and he really sees him. In fact, Jesus says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this man a star of this story. But as soon as Jesus saw the man, his disciples, his closest followers, their first question is, okay, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? Jesus says to them, don't invent blame. No one's at fault here. For people, I'm the light of the world, and don't undermine that light. I shine a light so that people can see who I am and that they can see who I value. Now, the way that Jesus chose to heal isn't pretty. He made mud with spit. Then he told this man with mud on his eyes to find his own way to the pool of Siloam. He said, go. Jesus didn't guide him. He didn't go with him. But he's in this journey with this man. And by not going with him, Jesus put this man in the position to find his way to the pool, to wash his eyes, and to come away seeing, and to realize that this has happened, and right now the attention is going to be on me. It's not going to be on Jesus. So the man finds his way back home, and when he gets home, his neighbors and his relatives are there. And he's telling them, it's me, I can see. But they begin to doubt his identity. They can't wrap their minds around such a miracle. They begin to say, I don't think that is really the one born blind. If it is, how were your eyes even opened? So this man who is now the star of the story, he says, Jesus made mud. And he put it on my eyes and he said, go and wash. And I went and washed and I could see, but this one who healed me, he told me what to do, but I've never seen him. When we parted ways, I was still blind. I'm not sure of the motivation, but for 
several reasons these people then took the man born blind. And they took him to the Pharisees, to the religious law and order people, and got them involved. Now, one of the reasons that he got them, they got them involved was because this man had been healed on the Sabbath, but even, even more silly in my mind, Jesus had made mud on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to make mud on the Sabbath. So he not only healed this guy when he shouldn't heal him, but he made mud when he shouldn't make mud. And they bring him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees ask, how did you get your sight? So he tells his story again. The same story he told when he got back to his neighborhood. Now he's telling that story to the Pharisees. I've never been able to see, and now I can see. He used mud. I washed it off, and now I can see. When he told his story, some of the Pharisees said, This Jesus is not from God. This is not a good thing. But at the same time, some of the Pharisees are saying not so fast. At the very least, this is amazing. And then the Pharisees ask the man, what do you think about this, Jesus? What's your opinion? You're the one whose eyes were opened. What do you say about him? I don't know how long he thought about it, but eventually he says, he's a prophet. And I believe he said it with confidence. This is not still looking like the man who was in the background saying, would someone please give me some money? Now he's standing in front of those who are trying to intimidate him, and he says he is a prophet. And the Pharisees trying to steal the show and steal the value of the man, the value of Jesus, they say, we don't believe you. There's no way you can be that guy. We're going to get your parents, and we're going to ask them some questions. So they ask the parents, is this your son? Yes, this is our son. Was he really born blind? Yes, he was born blind. So even though the Pharisees are trying to steal value, I believe the parents are in there saying, yes, this is our son. We claim him. Yes, he was born blind. But then the Pharisees asked the parents, how was he healed? And maybe kind of in the middle between life-giving and not, they say, he's a big boy, why don't you ask him? But they answered in that way because the Pharisees were intimidating to them. And they already knew that anyone who affirmed Jesus 
was going to be kicked out of the synagogue. They didn't want to be kicked out of their, their place of social contact. So they played it a little bit coy, and they said, he's a big boy. You can ask him. Parents were intimidated. So the Pharisees bring this man back in, and they repeat their interrogation of him. They tell him to be a good religious person. Why don't you just implicate Jesus as a sinner? Then we can kind of sort things out from there. And this man at the center of the story says, I don't know about any sin. If Jesus sinned or not, I don't know. But I do know one thing I was blind. And now I see. And I believe he was saying this with courage, not intimidated. Jesus had touched not only his eyes, but his soul. And again, the Pharisees say, What did he do to you? They're not, they're not softening at all. So now this man starts to give us a better picture of his personality, of his sense of humor, of his spunk, that he's not in a shell anymore, and he, he kind of throws everything back at them. He starts messing with their self-righteousness and making them realize that now they are on the defensive. So the Pharisees just start peppering him with insults, telling him he's worthless, that we're the big shots. We follow the laws. We're in the right here. You're not. You're, you got healed on the Sabbath. You won't condemn Jesus. We don't even know where Jesus came from. To which the star says, now that's interesting. You're such big shots but this, this is a big miracle that's taken place, and you're clueless. He's standing strong, and I think he was enjoying himself a little bit. So the Pharisees tell him, your whole life has been nothing but sin. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. You're not welcome here. You don't belong here. You're not one of us. You're no good. Be gone. And when Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out of the synagogue, Jesus found him. He'd seen him the first time, and he found him the second time, and he was still one of his favorites. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The answer was basically, well, who is he? And Jesus says, well, you can use your eyes now. Look at me. 
I'm the one. And this man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Those who tried to steal this man's value didn't know what they were up against. When things are going on around us, when questions of who Jesus is and who matters are, are being thrown around, where would Jesus be? It's nice to know he's with us when we're in trouble, isn't it? It's one of the places where he hangs out. When someone is struggling with life because they're a foster child, Jesus cares. And I guess the question is not only where would Jesus be, is do I also want to be where Jesus would be? Do I want to affirm the people that Jesus affirms? Am I willing to get in the mud too? This is a story of healing. But we cannot deny that God sent his son into the world because he loves us. And that's not a short list. May God help us to see people around us the way that he sees them. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this story. Thank you that we not, do not just see a miracle, but we see the blossoming, blossoming of someone with strength and character and personality and that you were the one who opened the doors for him that you gave him a path to faith in you that you found him again when he needed you again in Jesus name Amen